0: Hey guys and welcome to the Family Business in Davao
1: podcast. We are the voice of African family business promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my
0: name is Susan Tendi
1: and I am Nikia Amani
0: and we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business.
1: how are you today?
0: I'm good, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, I'm good. So today we'll be talking about 101 Family Governance by the expert of family governance herself, Sissy <laughs> Mutendi. Thank you, thank you for having me. Awesome, awesome. So, um, I guess i just thought it was really important to have this conversation Mm -hmm. because when people think of family governance um i think a lot of people don't even know what it entails Mm. you know a lot of a lot of next gens um don't know what it entails it can sound like it's administrative Mm -hmm. burdensome it -hmm. can sound like a whole bunch of activities that will take time so i think we need to demystify this world of family governance and Mm. break it down so why is family governance important
0: well firstly family governance i guess the word governance has been overused by pretty much the corporate world everything is corporate governance 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 And it makes it look like it's a very cumbersome um, process that involves a lot of um, things that are gonna be policed. When actually governance, I think the easier way of defining governance would be to create um, logic out of something that would look messy otherwise. So for example, when I think of family governance, There's different thought processes when it comes to family governance. There's the natural governance process. And then there's the formalized governance process. Each work in its its time and each work differently but towards the same goal. And when you're looking at family governance, what you're basically looking at is how do we communicate with each other? How do we treat each other and what are the results thereof if we treat each other in a certain way so you're just looking at it like sitting when you set up a country or when our countries were established we have so many different tribes ethnicities and we're just so many different sexes genders everything we have so many things going on in a country at any given point in time And we have to have laws and regulations that will teach us how to treat each other. Similarly, so when we're thinking of, even in the Bible itself, the Holy Book tells us that without the Ten Commandments, everybody was doing what they liked. The Ten Commandments simply gave us a guideline as to what is appropriate behavior and what is inappropriate behavior. So governance is just... As a family, we're sitting down and we are agreeing. That's why each family's um, family governance structures are different in terms of your family constitution is a very personal thing to your family. It's like culture is how we do things around here, how we relate to each other, what are expectations of each other? What is our belief system? Where do we come from? Um, Why do we believe this? we get to tell our stories we get to share our experiences and we get to put them in a document that then guides those people in the future when they're faced with difficult decisions or faced with difficult situations and we all know this as we carry on with life we are faced with those things that are difficulties that we really don't know how to deal with and how to face and in spirituality we turn to the holy book And when it comes to family, we usually do not have a guideline. So family governance is just us saying, this is our guideline of how we treat each other. It becomes more important when you have a family business because it now regulates how then you then treat the business as an aftermath of how you treat each other. Otherwise I would recommend that all families have a family governance um, documents like a family constitution just to guide us and to protect our heritage, protect our, who we are as a, as a family.
1: Mm, I love the fact that you compare it to the Bible or the Quran, something that, you know, um, we, we understand that we already use. And what's, it's clear from what you've explained is that there's no copy paste approach mm-hmm. for a family governance document. So it's not just um Sisi Mutendi come in and wrap this thing up in four weeks and that's our family governance document over there and we're good. <laughs> it doesn't quite work like that. Even in the Bible it says um the letter kills but the spirit gives life. Mm-hmm. And you're saying there's a natural governance system and there's a family governance. Can you explain more about that?
0: So the two, the two family governance um, systems I've seen, the natural governance and the formalized governance. The natural governance is the unagreed but understood ways of doing things in our families. So there is certain things you do and do not do. You do not have to be told, you just know this is the way we do things around here. When you sit at the family table, uh, what are we discussing? Do we always sit at the family table? Or when you know that everyone's sitting at the family table, there's something in particular that has happened for this to happen. Or do you know, it's, it's similar to in a marriage, everybody has roles and responsibilities, and they just fall into those roles and responsibilities. Sometimes you'll discuss them and agree from day one. Sometimes it's a discussion that happens as you are building on that relationship. And as you raise children, there are certain things that you've, you, or you agree on. It's verbal. It's never written down in contract. And it comes naturally because you've agreed on it. And your word is your bond. And you just know that this is how we do this. This is how we don't do this. For example, if you come into my household, apparently mommy's the law. And so mommy's the last person you ask because if she says no, it's not going to work. And its I didn't even know it was an unwritten rule until my husband said to me one day, he's like, do you realize the kids won't do anything without asking you? They'll come and ask me and I'll say yes. And they'll be like, okay, (laughs) let's just go ask mommy just to make sure. (laughs) and i was like i didn't realize it and and then i actually i actually was like no it doesn't it's not like that until this day we're in the car and we're driving and the kids asked dida can we have ice cream and he said yeah sure and then they they looked at him and they're like okay you said sure but mommy can we have ice cream so natural governance is just basically unruly rules that we sometimes don't even realize are there but we know exactly how it's going to work out and we know exactly what to do and how to do it mm. Whereas in mm. the formal rules are if you get stopped by the police and you have been drinking and driving or you were speeding or you, you know the road rules you're not supposed to cross a solid white line and you were in a rush anyway and you happened to cross the corner and the cops were there and they stopped you. Well, formal governance works in these times because there is a law. It's mm-hmm. written somewhere and it's being enforced that mm-hmm. if you do this, there's a consequence to it. So the police are not making that up and neither are they just thinking it's a good idea or is, it, it's not an unwritten rule. It's a written rule. It's a rule that there's a recourse it can be your word against the police's word. And in some cases, like with speeding, they have speeding cameras so that they can just take a picture and we don't have to have that discussion where we're saying, but no, I wasn't really speeding because mm. there's evidence. So the, mm. in family, how that works now is that we're saying, okay, there's unwritten rules. the things that we agree on and say, okay, mommy's the law, we'll ask her last. But there's also other things that need to be written down what happens in cases where you have a family business and you've built substantial wealth and there's marriage in the business and there's marriage in the family? It's, it makes sense that the founder will leave their shares to their children, but does it make sense that the spouse automatically gets access to those shares? And what mm. happens when there's a divorce in the family? And does the, does the spouse who got married into a family that was already wealthy, that had already built the business walk away with these shares as part of a community of property. Mm. These are some of the rules that, when we write them down, it's something we can reference to. It's something we can go back and say, right. We said as a family we would prefer that if somebody marries into the family, they the fa- the shares of the business do not automatically become part of community of property, and you then start. Creating legal documents to back up all those all those rules and laws that you are discussing on and agreeing on. Like if we get angry at each other and we're siblings, is it okay for me to share to sell my shares outside the family because I'm tired of the family right now? Or is it something where we would prefer to keep certain and certain number of shares within the family and I have to sell to a family member and a specific line in the family so as we grow from sibling partnership to cousin confederation it gets very complex you have many many more shareholders and many many more different interests in the business how will that look like when i'm selling my shares am i selling them because i'm angry am i selling them because i no longer want to be part of the business all these things when you have laws that guide it's easier because it's not simply a natural governance situation where you, you just know. It becomes, it can be a very, a very legal situation where family members might then take legal action against another family member. How do we handle that? How do we stop that from happening? How do we stop that from tearing apart our families? How do we stop the business from becoming the, in, the inhibitor to us getting along?
1: So from what you're saying, essentially, we can't have natural without formal or formal without natural, really. Um, Because it's not just a technicality, it's not just a mechanical thing, family governance. It's really a process, right? Yes. Yes. And I often say that matters of the heart can't be legislated. So there are certain things that in that document that like you said will not speak to certain scenarios and would you agree that a family governance process is to allow the family to also think about their values who they are and gain consensus on that
0: um yes definitely so like you said earlier a family governance Um, documents like a family constitution is not something that is created overnight or over a couple of days and um, shelved. It's a live document. I'll give you an example of there's this post I saw on LinkedIn a couple of days ago that narrated um, a a myth or could I say um, something that I didn't know where it looked at when women actually got the right to vote. So we've continuously said women have uh, gotten the right to vote 100 years ago, and it's a perpetuated fact that everybody speaks on and says, yes, yay, women got the right to vote a couple of hundred years ago. And so the Constitution, which is a document that is amended all the time, it runs our different countries and each country has one it's consistently updated, um, because as different interests come up, different issues, different conflicts, or different resolutions, you have to update your thought processes as well as the way you look at things. So looking at this post, what it actually did, it showed four different times, points in time, where women got the right to vote. It started with um, the Caucasian women 100 years ago, and then moved on to, um, I think it's Asian women, then colored women, and then black women. And it showed that we didn't all get the right to vote at the same time. And so how this applies is that in the Constitution, at every point in time, there was an amendment it wasn't a blanket amendment that all women could vote. It was specific type of woman can vote. And equally so in a family constitution, you must understand that it's not just a document where we've done it, Whoo, yes, well done to us. Yay, let's put it in a drawer. No, it's looking at it and saying, at this date and this time, this is how we felt about this, and this is our point of view because of this. And at times you may actually have to write down a whole story and, and put in there an understanding. It's like when, when lawyers go and study law, they always reference to previous cases and rulings made in those cases because they're precedents. In my culture, we say, Chakatanga <laughs> no that means loosely translated, what started is what wisened us. So when we, as we learn something new, we become wiser and our thought processes change, our attitudes change. So your first thought process when you think, I don't want an outsider getting shares to my business is based on what happens if this person leaves the business and they want to take shares and they're, they're marrying into my, into my business. If you have, for example, if you're a founder and you have all daughters, you feel like that family business is going to go to another clan. It's no longer going to be our, my family business with my family name on it. But what happens if your business is in dire distress and your in-law Comes in and saves it by contributing a, a substantial amount. Do you still stand by the constitution that says no outsider should get shares, or are you then going to sell the shares, or are you just going to receive the money and say nothing about it? How is the person married to the person giving money going to feel? How uh, how is their branch of the family going to feel about that action? So all these things are things that happen as we walk the road of life. A family constitution is like a country constitution. Once in a while, we have to sit down. We have to look at our belief systems, our value systems. Is there any significant events that may have changed how we felt or how the feeling was when this document was originally created? And how do we feel about it now and should there be any amending because a family constitution might be one document but all the supporting documents that then go in to enforce a lot of things on the family constitution may become legal documents like contracts and um and affidavits and things like that so it's a process that is ongoing and from generation to generation we have the task of taking on that and really having that Deep down, look at us as a generation. What is our belief system? What do we think is right? What do we think is wrong? What do we think has changed? And how can we then make that constitution a reflection of who we are? And at the end of the day, the person who then reads the family constitution at the end of or at the beginning of their journey can look back and see our history and how we've grown.
1: I love the examples you gave, those real life practical examples that um, where those family dynamics may have a negative impact on the wealth or the business or the family. And I was just thinking, so in the process of this family governance, how does it work? Do you work with entire families do you work with the founders how do you start the process like how does this whole thing work so with
0: family governance you really have to start at the root because let's take away the word governance and say telling the family story we all have beautiful, beautiful stories to tell about our family, about our history, about our great-grandfathers, great-grandmothers, our families, our nations. We, have, we all have different stories to tell. Family governance um, constitutions are those beautiful documents that allow us to tell our stories, our family stories, and package them in a way that each family member can resonate with. It will explore our vision, our mission, our values at the point in time that it is created. So if the founder of the family business is alive when the document is created or this process is started, that would be the, the best place to start because they can then rope in even their own parents if they're alive to start really digging deep to understand where our value systems come from where our belief systems come from, why what we hold dear is really what we hold dear. And at the end of a process or a cycle where one constitution is made up and is a a representation of a generation, there are other documents that can come from this. You can have videos and videos of family members talking about their history, the things they believe in. You can have audios You can even write books that can be given to the next generation or little kids in the family telling them the story of the family. Once upon a time, there was this little boy or this little girl and they grew up here and these were their dreams. And what you're simply doing is you're passing on that knowledge, that history, and you're putting it in a way that each generation can resonate with. And so with the founder, because they started the business, they know why they started the business, they know what drove them. And do you know, they love speaking about their journeys. They love speaking about their struggles. They love, it's almost like they are knights slaying dragons and they're telling these amazing stories of that one day this happened and this other day this happened. So giving that opportunity also allows the next gen to understand the founder and understand what drives them, what keeps them up at night, what scares them and allows that mantle to be passed on just like in the Olympics where you have the torch passed on from one person to another. To be able to pass on that torch, you have to understand the route that the person who has ran with it had to take to get to you. And now I know we make a hell of a show about it where we have cars following um, these people carrying the Olympic torch from one country to another. And we keep that light burning. And it's very symbolic that we keep that light burning and it's passed on from town to town to town. And we choose unique members of our society to carry that Olympic torch because we feel that they have done the work or they have represented us in a way we're proud of, and them carrying that torch is symbolic for us. And equally so, in a family constitution, family succession planning, we need to bring that spirit to the table. That spirit of, it's been a long journey, I ran my race, I'm holding this torch and holding it tight, and I'm passing on not just the business, but the stories the wealth of value, the mission, the vision, the everything that I am, I'm giving to you so that you can tell my story to those people who won't get the opportunity to meet me.
1: Girl, (laughs) you just made governance sound so sexy, interesting. Who would have thought that? This is what governance entails. (laughs) Like, I love, love, love the whole part about storytelling i don't think we do it enough in our family businesses and like you said it's such a beautiful way to engage the next generation um storytelling is like one of the best ways to persuade and influence people and i think it would be it's a great medium through which both generations can find a way to find common grounds and See the commonalities between each other as, um, instead of seeing the differences so that's really really so governance isn't just a document governance is a whole process mm-hmm. governance sounds like the wrong word is because <laughs> governance sounds boring <laughs> governance sounds bo- when i think of governance like even corporate governance send me to sleep but this sounds like it's about fostering um really fostering the family units. Mm-hmm. and it's a mirror of the family mm-hmm. both spoken mm-hmm. and unspoken if that makes mm-hmm. sense
0: and we're not telling enough of our stories I think with many discussions we've had with people and just getting to know um, family businesses in the space that I'm in I realized there's just so many untold stories. There's so many phenomenal stories that need to be told, not only to um, the world itself, but to the family, the close family members, them for them to understand what... Because I, Okay, I'm an amateur anthropologist, forgive me, but I love, love, love stories. I want to understand people through stories. So I want to know what makes you sad, what makes you happy? Okay, why do you like that particular flavor in ice cream as opposed to other flavors in ice cream? And you find behind every single door, there's an amazing story that somebody just hasn't had the opportunity to tell and hasn't had the platform to tell. And it then goes back to, as you're talking to different family members, as you are hearing their different stories, you're not looking for perspective, you're looking to understand and when you start hearing the stories you all of a sudden then realize okay this is why this person prefers this over this why do you like red over blue well you know like i had my great great grandfather had this red hat that he always wore all the time and we knew that he meant business when he was wearing that red hat so all of a sudden that love for red comes out very clearly and with some people you'd be like, how come you like groundnuts over other nuts? Oh, you know what? I have this aunt of mine who I spend a lot of time with, and she nurtured me so well. And I remember we used to go into the field and we used to, and she used to grow these groundnuts. And every time when it came to harvest time, we'd sit around the fire and she'd tell us stories and we'd be eating groundnuts. Mm. So in every single thing that is a human experience, there's something out there that informs us. For example, I knew I was going to have this discussion with you. And when I woke up, I was like, oh, I can't be going on camera looking like, no, I can't. There's no way. <laughs> and where that comes from, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, always used, always, always used to say, dress the way you would like to be addressed. So no matter where you go, you must look the part because people will treat you the way you look. So they will look at you without even having giving you the opportunity to open your mouth. They will treat you the way you look. So she made us also conscious. You see, all of her grandkids, her kids, were so particular. Are you going to go out the house like that? Are you going to You're going to go out looking like that? And it's because of that one person. <laughs> who made it a point where she'd be, she'd cover her white hair. I don't think she'd be proud of this. She'd cover her white (laughs) hair and she'd be dyeing it to make sure it's all black. So she looks young. And so she taught us, and she was in her seventies and she, she taught us the spirit of always look the part. And so no matter where you see me, if you see images, Of me I always want to look the part because I'm honouring her I'm honouring what she taught me and what she believed in and these are the values that come through when you do governance these are the values that come through when you talk to
1: family that's so beautiful so it's really peeling back the onions to know who we are Mm -hmm. as a family and Mm -hmm. looking at a process to sense check who we are periodically Mm -hmm right Mm -hmm. Uh, is it how how often should you review your family governance is it when there's a new marriage is it when there's a death when there's a significant business event like what would be you know your advice on that like how often should we be reviewing our family governance
0: I think most family governance deep dives must be done when we, when we start integrating new generations. The first document once created is a guideline and we'll see us through quite a number of significant events, but as we walk, we should say biannually when you have that uh, family assembly, those family get togethers, we should, um, Bring up issues that we see are niggling at the family or are causing a little bit of discomfort for certain family members and discuss them in a non-conflict zone. And even when a conflict arises, always be aware that not all conflicts are negative. Conflicts are a misunderstanding or something that has been brought about by another action or reaction So when it comes to conflict, it's not hearing what you think you hear, but looking at what is going on, what is the source of the conflict? What are the real issues? And then referring them back to the constitution and seeing what values are being attacked there or being reflected on there. And how does that look like for us as individuals and as family members? So when it comes to reviewing every biannual, every two years, let's look at our family constitutions and just remind ourselves of the values that we hold and ask ourselves, are we still upholding these values? And in what actions are we doing that? And if you can, document it. Because in documenting, you are actually making it stronger. You're like, you know what they do with clay pots? And they put water in it and make it sit and see if it holds Mm. or if it breaks. That's the same thing you should do with your family constitution. Once in a while, take it for a test drive. Mm. Bring it out. Ask yourselves, are we still upholding these values? Do we still remember the mission? Um, Make it something of um, a ritual that you do at um, family events where each one of you gets an opportunity to tell the story of the founder, to tell the story of the family business. It seems like a very negligible thing and saying, oh, it's just too much work, too much effort. But what it actually does is you're testing that clay pot. Does it hold water? Will it be able to cook on fire? Will it be able to uphold when it comes to it? And does every family member know who we are, what we believe in, and where we are going so every two years is healthy without looking at it from a okay did we check it is it right we need to look at it from a perspective of you know um, i'll take for example christians and even uh, with our muslim brothers and sisters we have that one event or that one thing that we do every year that renews our faith, that reminds us of why we believe what we believe. For Christians, it's Christmas and Easter. For Muslims, you have Ramadan. And um, you have the pilgrimage. And so these things that we do annually that remind us of our faith, that remind us of why we believe what we do. And I'm sure in every faith and religion, there is something significant we do every year so similarly so in our family we should have that one space where we retell our story and we add on our part of the story because as we are telling a story it's, not, it's a family story is a never-ending story you just have significant mm-hmm. milestones but as every generation takes up the mantle they're also adding to this tapestry and creating this beautiful picture that one day will say, right, this is the such-and-such family. And this is their journey. Just like, and as human beings, we've always wanted to tell stories. Um, I teach a a history class, um, K-12 history class. And um, we learned in prehistory, that was, prehistory is the time period before we learned how to write. But even prehistory, the cavemen, they created, paints, and they started drawing on walls because they wanted their story to be heard. And up to now, we go to these monuments and these uh, historic places, and we see these drawings. People have made it a norm to go and see these things. What they don't really realize is that it's a story that's been told that is probably longer than 2,000 years ago because we started counting time when Jesus was born. But prior to that, many, many thousands of years prior to that, somebody reached through time and left you something that you could look at and know how they lived. Similarly, that is our family governance. That is our family constitution. That's our family assembly, our family council. We're reaching through time to tell those people that are coming or that are gonna be there that this is what we are,
1: this is who we are, this is what we did. So beautiful. And um, my last question, we can't have a conversation in 2020 and not talk about (laughs) Rona, (laughs) COVID-19. Unfortunately. How does family governance, how does that look like in times of COVID? How has that impacted family governance or what tips can you give families in this time to govern effectively?
0: This space is so important. Corona is um, the story of our generation. A hundred years ago, it happened um, in 1918 and and another generation went through similar, um, if not more horrific, because they didn't have all the resources we have now. So the truth is we are in a space where we can redefine our story. We can redefine how we deal with things. We've had more time during the Corona period than... Ever be before in our history because we were just running like a, a train that has gone rogue and keeps on running yeah. so fast. And we were chasing the fourth industrial revolution, we're chasing technology, we were chasing so many things. And we've just gotten a moment in time where the pause button has been pressed and we've had to just breathe, just take a deep breath in. And take a moment to realize what is important to us because in this space and time you've seen families that have been really really punched in the gut by corona and who've lost loved ones you've found families who've found themselves in confined spaces in ways that they've never thought were possible and were forced to speak to each other not because we're having a family assembly or because we're trying to do a constitutional document well because we've been locked in and you actually have to get to know each other and you might at some point in time have to learn how to pronounce each other's names again because we'd forgotten how to do that we were going by nicknames we were going by oh i'll see you later i'll whatsapp you i'll call you i'll uh," we're now we have been put in a space and time where we have to deep dive. We have to really, really look at ourselves, our families, our value systems, our sources of conflict, our sources of pain, and what is important, and then take that back into our businesses. One of the examples that I saw during this time that made me think really deeply about even myself and my business, is we have been talking about pivoting, pivoting, and also becoming better expanding more becoming this and that giving more value to clients and all of a sudden the world was paused we had companies that had to go back back to their core what business am i in and i remember the beginning of corona when a lot of airlines became grounded And Ethiopian Airlines kept on flying. And even I was one of the people who were like, why are these guys still flying though? Until um, I read an article that basically explained why they're still flying. They're in the business of transportation. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're transporting people. They're in the transportation business. And they're the people who... Ethiopian Airlines has been able to bring in much-needed supplies on the continent and keep people transported, keep goods and servicing is being transport. They went back to their core. They're in the business of transport. And they made sure they kept on transporting. Even when they were hit the hardest, they kept on transporting. And equally so as family businesses, a lot of businesses had to go back to think of what business am I actually in? Because I run a school, we had to go back to thinking about what do we truly offer as a school is it um, the fancy meals that we give students when they come to school is it the extracurricular activities that we offer them after their normal school days we had to go back to the drawing board what is service do we offer as a school and which is we educate children we provide them with a space where they can learn and so we had to go back to basics how do we deliver that service Despite everything that's contraindicative, that we cannot open schools, that we can't really do social distancing effectively with little children, how do we still give them the core service we promised them when they came through our doors the the day they said yes to us? We needed to give them an education. And so we went online. We started looking tools, resources. How do we get online and make sure that they're given the same service, if not better, where they are? And so as businesses, the time of Corona has gotten us to a point where we truly have had to look inside and question our values, our ethics, and what our core business is. What service do we truly provide to our communities and how do we serve them? And then go back to that. And I'm hoping for family businesses that although this has been a difficult time, it's been a time where you're thinking, how am I going to make money? How, how's it going to work? Go back to the drawing board. Go back to your values. Go back to your mission. When you started the business, what is it that you were providing? What solution were you giving to what problem? And how are you still giving that solution?
1: Incredible. So simple. Yeah, so poignant. So discovering ourselves for mm-hmm. discovering our purposes mm-hmm. as people and as family businesses mm-hmm. amazing thank you so much to i've been schooled <laughs> 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 i have been schooled and a lot of um even i've learned a lot now about breathing into life family government mm-hmm. i love the piece on storytelling i really love that piece.